I watch film, but I'd be honest, I mean, when I first started watching film, I was just watching the game. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the UK Packers podcast at UK Packers on Twitter with your host at NFL. Got a brilliant treat for you all today. We have an absolute heavyweight in the NFL game on the line. It's none other than Chris Wessling from NFL.com. Chris, how's things? Thank you. A uh, very gracious introduction there. Things are going great. Good stuff. Uh, Chris, I just want to clear something up from the bat. I just want to ask you, is it weird talking to a proper Irishman on the phone about NFL? <laughs> yeah, our producer, Brandon McGinnis, is known as the Irishman, but uh, he's from the western portion of the United States. There's no Irish accent whatsoever. That's, that's what I had, that's the bone I had to pick with you now, Chris. I wanted to find out how Irish is the Irishman behind the glass? I have no idea. I think that's just one of Dan Hanges' inventions. Everyone has to be a character <laughs> on the podcast, so... Uh, he turned Brandon into the Irishman. Yeah, because I see kind of a trend going on on NFL.com. And pretend, like, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. So you've the Irishman behind the glass on Around the NFL podcast. I'm a regular listener. So is everybody over here because you shoot up the charts in iTunes. Is it NFL.com policy to have to employ, you know, kind of the Paddy or, you know, the Tommy, as we call him, the Englishman? Because Sheck has a handsome... Hank, doesn't he? And he's an English guy. Is is it a requirement written into the contracts in NFL.com? No, I think I think Handsome Hank is the outlier. He's the guy who worked <laughs> in uh, the NFL London office, made his way over here, and is quickly working his way up the ladder. He might be commissioner someday, for all we know. Okay, okay, as a sneaky plan. So th- this is what I'm sort of thinking, right? I thought it was written into the policy, and I thought if me and you spoke and you realized how Irish I was, I'd kind of usurp Brandon as the true Irishman. Is, is that possible? Can I come over and kick him out? That seems all fair to me. It does. I mean, come on. It's, it's, it's the rule. It's NFL.com policy. You can't mess with that. And Chris, I know with a name like Chris Westling, it doesn't sound very Irish, but everybody in America kind of has an Irish influence. Are you Irish in any way? Absolutely. Uh, Westling is a city in Germany, but that's uh, my dad's side. My mom has a lot of Irish, including uh, grandparents that were named Connolly. Nice. And uh, one of the, the best uh, 10 or 11 days of my life was a trip around the island uh, in 1998, around Ireland. No way, Annie. You coming back anytime soon? Because I can buy you a pint. I sure hope so. We'll see what happens. But I would love to go back to Ireland. Bring it on. You see, because this is the thing as well, uh, Chris, is that I noticed Americans, I, you, you guys, I was listening to the podcast last night. And again, any of our listeners out there, you got to get onto iTunes and get around the NFL uh, podcast. It's just great banter. Uh, there's enough, and you'll notice now because it's brilliant that you're sort of. I'm going to call you half Irish if I can, if that if that's okay, you know. Um, sure. Yeah, I'm all for that. And we're we're probably related somewhere down the line. Um, and I know you guys had exception with the way JJ Watt said the word kit. And I'm just going to confirm for you, mm-hmm. and this is official coming from an Irishman. You're absolutely right. He cannot call just one jersey a kit. That's just a jersey. A kit is the full gear. So I think you can bring that back to your buddies in the Around the NFL uh, podcast and just inform them, and I'm sure they'll be relieved. Oh, Dan will be very happy to hear that. Because I think I'm going to use you, if it's okay, Chris, as kind of the vehicle to bring over words that the Americans are saying wrong and correct them in it. So I'll just run through a a, a few with you. You know uh, Tim Cahill, who plays for the States, the soccer guy? What's his name? Tim Cahill. I do not know him. I don't follow soccer closely enough. Well, Chris... Either way, I think you should, because I want you to meet, because 
everyone in America thinks that everyone in Ireland know each other. So I'm just going to reciprocate that and assume that you're close friends with Barack Obama. So I want you to bring this back to the States. So Tim Cahill is actually Tim Cahill. And that's how he's pronounced here in Ireland. He'd, he'd be ran out of the country if he came over and said his name is Cahill. Oh, so he's just pronouncing his own name incorrectly, like he's, Brett Favre. Exactly. His own name wrong, which, yeah, Brett Favre uh, is what it should be. And similarly, he can't even pronounce his own name. Right. And similarly, with people called Shaughnessy, if you have any guy called Shaughnessy, his actual name here in Ireland is Shocknessy. So he's pronouncing his name wrong as well, which is probably an identity crisis for most uh, Irish Americans. Yeah, I remember the Cardinals outside linebacker, Matt Shocknessy. There you go. You see, see, Chris, you're definitely Irish. With that pronunciation, I mean, you should just come <laughs> home to the motherland and start broadcasting from over here. It's not a bad idea. I'll go back to Dingle Bay. <laughs> I love it. Jesus, down in Kerry. Nice. See, see, is Fungi the Dolphin still there? Yeah, you know what? Fun, Fungi's still around, but they say that he was suffering from sort of a low point in depression because he was getting older. And apparently he had like this dolphin girlfriend and she ran away and had an affair with another dolphin. Now, I'm not messing oh, with Chris. Oh, that's awful. Isn't it terrible? Like, I mean, poor old Fungi can't even, you know, get his love life in order. It's awful. He can't even drown his sorrows with a pint. <laughs> no, he can't even drown because he's a fish. So, I mean, you know, it's not looking <laughs> too good for him. But, uh... Let me ask you this then, uh, Chris, because you are a heavyweight in the podcasting game. I mean, you have a guy from Ireland. Uh, it's, mid it's past midnight over here. It's 10 minutes past midnight. I've got an 11-week-old son. He's up in the room sleeping. So you're a big name. Uh, you know, you, you're known all around the world. When was it, Chris, did you know that you were famous? When did, you know, when did someone stop you in the street and go, hey, you're Chris Wesley? When did that happen? 30 seconds ago when you told me. <laughs> I'm the first one. I can't be the first one. You have to have some crazy stories. No, we, we are not that recognized. Um, not in person anyway. Yeah. In, I, think we're, I think we're considered famous more internationally than here in America because it seems like there aren't as many podcasts available, say, in Ireland or England or Australia. Um, and ours seems to be the main one, whereas over here there's a lot more competition. Right. And frankly, most Americans think they're experts at football, so they probably would tend to mock us, whereas it seems to me that a lot of people from overseas are just catching up to the game and kind of are more deferential yeah. and more respectful. Yeah, because you know what, Chris, it works both ways, because what we get from fans, because I'm sitting in my kitchen here in, uh, we, we call it UK Packers HQ, um, and, you know, from our perspective, because kind of like what you're saying, where everybody in America thinks thinks they're an expert, they're kind of it's organic almost. You, you know, you're you're born in America, you grow up with the game, you don't do a lot of reading of the game, you watch the game casually, and you know all the players kind of you know just through osmosis. Whereas us fans over here, kind of like what you're saying, we listen to all all you guys on the podcast, we read all the articles that we can get, we subscribe to websites like Pro Football Focus, not as an analyst perspective, but simply as just a normal punter reading it. And I'm not going to say, because this sounds patronizing to, you know, all of the adoring American fans, but I'd even hazard a guess to say that international fans on occasion can know more than an American fan because we just, you know, snap it up and read it up. So is that what you find that most of your, you know, big time fans are actually international fans? And how is that as an American broadcaster? Is that still a little bit strange for you? It's not strange anymore. I think when, when I first started with NFL.com and NFL Media, it was really strange to find out that about 40% of our podcast listeners were international yeah. outside of America. That surprised me, but I've really come to embrace it. And 
I really treasure our international fans because, like you said, uh, they can be definitely a lot smarter than being the average American fan because there seems to be an appetite there. There's like a voracious appetite to learn the game and keep up with it. And I think, you know, it's just natural for every red-blooded American male to assume that he knows everything about sports. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot, there are a lot of dumb conversations in bars uh, <laughs> with, with guys who aren't, aren't very well-read. They're just, they're just very opinionated. And I think that it's, I'm sure that's a worldwide phenomenon. Everybody in England claims to be a cricket expert or, Everybody in Ireland is a hurling expert, you know? Yeah, no, that's dead true because, you know, we get that over here. It's kind of, we get bashed almost uh, for being fans over here by American fans who say, what do you know? Now, as a Green Bay Packer fan and all of the dealings that we've had with people in Wisconsin, the, the, it's actually been the opposite in that regard, that they've been so welcoming when we go over there. We go over there on an annual trip. And, you know, they, they invite us in with open arms. We find, you know, certain parts of America, like I had a guy in the office, he was an intern from Texas, and he was having none of it. He, I was talking to him about American football. He was like, what? oh, man, what do you know? You know, and he got angry almost when I start spitting out stats and spitting out names that he didn't know. So even as an American, do you get that in bars? Do you have guys coming up and going, oh, Chris, what do you know? <laughs> well, you know, it might start out like that, but after a few minutes, the conversation tends to turn a little bit. <laughs> I mean, if it's something I'm doing for 70 or 80 hours a week and I'm a reasonably intelligent person, it's going to become evident pretty quickly that I can probably talk circles around the random guy in a bar. Yeah, and that's actually an interesting point. Like, we love the game. We, we don't do this as our full-time job. I, I would if I could. And if you know of any open positions for a twinkly-eyed Irishman, invite me over. But we do this kind <laughs> of on a part-time. We're hobbyists more so. But we live and breathe NFL more so the Green Bay Packers. And it's fun for us. But you do it as a full-time job. Do you find that because it's your full-time job that sometimes you just want to switch off from NFL and just not even think about it? No question. I would say that actually it, it has affected more my love of other sports than football, though. Yeah. Um, when, I, when I worked at a law firm for a decade, uh, sports were my escape, and especially fantasy football. I would stay after work and just become engrossed in, in research and studying, you know, stay two or three extra hours a night sometimes yeah. just studying all of this. And, you know, when, when it becomes your job and you're doing it, you know, when I get home from work, I, I'm immediately turning on NFL Game Pass and watching games. So yeah. there is no real escape from it. Um, there's no vacation from it. So it does get to be tedious at times. And I think that comes through on the podcast when you hear me talking about, oh, God, we have to do another story on Victor Cruz coming back or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. I just want more interesting stories sometimes. Yeah. Um, and luckily, you know, with Greg here as the boss, I'm pretty much able to be my own editor and choose what I want to write about. So there's no real burnout for me on football, but for sports, I'm not nearly the baseball fan I used to be. Yeah. And I don't tend to pay attention to basketball until playoff time. So it has definitely taken away from that a little bit. Yeah, because personally, um, and believe it or not, I used to write for TMJ4, WTMJ620, uh, WTMJ, all these stations in the States. And as an Irishman, you know, I was I was doing it for free. Uh, it was just for exposure. But it, I was given that kind of license as well. It was it was a little project that they were running. So I was writing for, you know, diehard Wisconsin American fans. And I had to come up with the material. And I found it really hard, especially in the off season where not a whole lot's going on. And I know you guys on the podcast, you have this, you know, trope alert where it's a story that's really a non-story. 
is the off season incredibly painful for you as an NFL journalist because actually nothing happens? And do you actually hope that there's a bit of gunplay so that you can have something to write about? No, I never hope for the gunplay. <laughs> the arrest, the arrests don't excite me, and there's no real analysis I can give. You know what I mean? Yeah. My job is to give analysis, and I'm not really going to have anything to say about somebody being arrested. Um, it's usually those kinds of things are usually sensitive anyway, so I don't want to have to watch what I write. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it is a little frustrating in the off season, but it's also kind of a welcome break from working so many hours and having that routine in your life where every day you're doing the same thing like you do during the season. Yeah. So in that sense, it's like I can get off of work at five o'clock, go have a beer, uh, hang out with a few girls or something, which I don't get to do as much in the season. Yeah. And I mean, do you get much of an opportunity then to actually sit down with the players and talk to them? Or do you not put a whole lot of stock in interviews with the players because they have such big PR departments now that they're never really going to say anything that will be of any worth? Yeah, you nailed that. I I think more than most writers, I just have very little, little interest in talking to active players. I, I really like talking to retired players yeah. because they're a lot more open. They tell better stories. And the current players are so scripted because there's so much money on the line. And like you said, the PR people are involved, the agents are involved. Yeah. And they're told to stick to storylines and avoid controversy and sell what they have to sell. And I, I usually just am not interested in that. We are offered players for the podcast all the time to do interviews. And, and our, we kind of come from the point of view that the podcast is better without the players. That when they come, when they come on, the podcast stops. Now, I'd agree with that because in, in contrast on the UK Packers podcast here, we've had players Mike Daniels, Mason Crosby, Sam Barrington, and they've all been great guys to talk to. But as you say, the more unguarded interview that we've ever had was with Amon Green, the all-time leading rusher at the Packers. And we were asking him all sorts of stuff like what pranks did Brett Favre play on you? What was the difference between Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre? And he was able to just wax lyrical about, oh, Brett Favre put deer urine all over the jerseys and it smelled, man. You know, and the stories he came out with was just incredible. So you'd be under the same impression. And is there any NFL uh, podcast then you just stick to the sort of banter that you have and you're really not interested in the players? Yeah, that's what, uh, that's what our plan is. I mean, that's what we've been doing for a few years. Uh, we had Pat Peterson on uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and I don't think that has aired yet on our podcast. Yeah, but that was an exception because he's such a household name and he's such a great player. So that was offered and we took it and it was kind of leaned. They kind of leaned on us and said, he's such an important player. You should have him on. But for the most part, they just let us make our own decision. Now, it's good that you have that license. But I know, Chris, and again, I'm I'm a keen follower of your articles. They're extremely well written, well researched, as you said, you know, more than almost, you know, well, in my opinion, anyway, you know, more than even the you know the top NFL journalist and you wrote a a good few articles on the Packers which was brilliant that and that was why I was keen to sort of have you on the podcast and again thanks for coming on I you had an article about this I think it was back in March and I'd just like to maybe bring that to our listeners here in the UK and Ireland and sorry if it's rehashing stuff for you but the Packers this season versus last season do you think the Packers can become dominant again this season with Jordy Nelson coming back with Eddie Lacy slimming down uh, or is it is there something behind the Packers that's more worrying for you? I do think they should bounce back, and I think they're a candidate to lead the NFL in scoring. I think basically everything that could go wrong outside of an Aaron Rodgers injury last year went wrong. Yeah, Eddie Lacy was out of shape, tremendously out of shape. Yeah, uh, the offensive line had injuries. 
Randall Cobb played through a season-long injury and had to face double teams, two things that he's not going to succeed doing. Devontae Adams had the high ankle sprain, and after Aaron Rodgers basically guaranteed that Adams would be a star in the offseason, it just never happened. Ty Montgomery, it looked like just when they were about to expand his role, he, he had his own high ankle sprain. Yeah. Jeff Janis uh, runs routes like, um, I don't know, Ferdinand, Ferdinand Magellan. <laughs> <laughs> so he's all over the place. So he just wasn't ready yet. And I think everything that went wrong could in the Jordy Nelson injury. I think people found out just how good he is. There was so, some sense. I had heard it around our newsroom that Jordy Nelson was just a product of Aaron Rodgers. And I think we found out that wasn't true. Yeah. And do you think anybody can come back from an ACL uh, injury, you know, that Jordy Nelson got last year? Do you think he'll be the same player this year? Or is there always a question mark over somebody when they have an injury like that? There's always a question mark. Even Adrian Peterson, when he had 2,100 rushing yards, nobody saw that coming. No, I certainly uh, didn't. I, I think one thing that Jordy has in his favor is that it happened in August instead of December. Yeah. And are you on the Jeff Janis hype train? Do you think all he needs is time to develop? Or do you think sort of, you know, route running is an issue with young players in the NFL and some of them just don't get it? Yeah, I do think it's an issue, and I, I think his physical skills are evident. They're yeah. self-evident. If you can, you can see his speed and size um, and power, and that came in really handy on special teams last year. But route running is so important, and it's not. You know, when we hear the word route running, we think, oh, can he run the route tree? Can he run this route and that run? Yeah. But in the NFL, it's also about are you on the same page as the quarterback when you have to adjust. To what the defense is doing to you are you and the quarterback seeing the same thing and making the same adjustments uh at the same time and i think that's probably what he struggles with the most is what a lot of young receivers struggle with yeah i'd have to agree with you there because one thing that we all know especially in pack nation about aaron Rodgers, and again obviously it applies to all quarterbacks but it seems to be more prevalent with aaron Rodgers that a quarterback has to be able to trust his wide receiver. If he can't, he will not release the ball. We all know Aaron Rodgers, you know, protects the ball. Uh, he's not like Andrew Luck was last year, where he kind of just had to do a wing and a prayer behind a bad O-line and throw the ball up. He didn't really care about interceptions. But as we saw Aaron Rodgers' interception record, he obviously really cares about, you know, keeping good care of the ball. And that's how football games are won. Which brings me to the tight end that was... Uh, brought in in free agency, which is an odd splash for uh, Ted Thompson because we know he likes to draft and develop. Jared Cook, uh, you know, will he have a breakout year, uh, Chris, do you think? Or was his performance with the Rams, his ceiling, you know, do you think it was a bad quarterback with him at the Rams? Or is this the type of guy who, with a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, can shine? Well, I don't think there's a simple answer there. I think that Jared Cook, like, makes, makes a lot of mental mistakes yeah. or has in the past. I think that's part of it. I think that he runs in a straight line better than he moves laterally. Yeah. That's part of it. And I think the Rams quarterbacks have been terrible, frankly. Yeah. Um, their passing game has been subpar among the league's worst for the whole time Jared Cook has been there. So I think that's a huge part of it. I do expect him to have a much better season in Green Bay. And I think they'll be able to take advantage of his speed, which is evident. Yeah, certainly from a Packer perspective, I think that Jared Cook is going to have so many sort of 
you know, tools around him that will facilitate a good performance. So with Jordy Nelson being back, hopefully healthy, well, then he'll stretch the field. And people might now have to start respecting Green Bay's tight end game, where they kind of hadn't before. But an interesting stat that struck me was that Richard Rodgers was 17th amongst all tight ends last year, whereas Jared Cook was actually 53rd. But again, I think, as you say, they have to scheme free speed. They have to scheme now for... You know, uh, Ty Montgomery coming back, who is a dynamite guy. Maybe Jeff Janis has another year under his belt. Jordy's going to be back. Randall Cobb will hopefully be fully uh, healthy. And again, it just looks like an explosive offense. Which brings me to the run game and Eddie Lacy. And everyone talks about his weight issue. You know, I look at Eddie Lacy like a power running back. I think he's like a Marshawn Lynch character where he just runs you over and, you know, stamps on your face. Do you think Eddie Lacy can be as effective as, as a slim down back? Because he's not really kind of a... Now, he does do his sort of, you know, Alabama bowling ball spins, but he's kind of just a power runner. Would you agree with that? And do you think his weight issue with him being slim down might actually affect his game negatively? No, I don't think it will affect his game negatively. I do think he's a power runner, and I think if he gets down to 235 or 240, that is plenty of power for an NFL running back. And I, I love Eddie Lacy's game when he's in shape. I think he has very nimble feet for a guy of his size. Uh, and he's a good pass catcher when he's in shape. He's just two different backs to me, the fat Eddie Lacy and the in-shape Eddie Lacy. And the in-shape Eddie Lacy, I think, is a top six or seven NFL running back. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you because if you look back to his rookie season, I mean, he was the reason why the Packers made the playoffs because, as we know, with the amount of injuries and what happened to A-Rod was incredible. And he was the first... Uh, Packers rookie to win rookie of the year since the 70s so his talent is evident so when you look at the Packers schedule this year Chris do you believe that it's the easiest schedule on paper is there no such thing because every year teams will develop more and you really can't call it based on past facts yeah I think that one of the most um, kind of one of the things that's talked about the most during the offseason that matters the least is strength of schedule because you just don't know you base it on the previous season, which has very little bearing on what's going to happen, say, come November 4th of this year. Yeah. By that time, all of last year's data is, is almost useless. So when I looked at the schedule and we were told to have opinions on it, the Packers looked like the easiest schedule in the league to me. But I don't know if that means anything just because in April it looks like that. Who knows what it'll look like by October or November. Yeah, because, I mean, we always have a chance with Aaron Rodgers. He's uh, widely seen as the, one of the best, if not the best, quarterback in the game, certainly by stats. But over what's happened, you know, over the last few years in Green Bay with, you know, just calamitous errors like Brandon Bostick not coming down with the ball and then giving up that 75-yard play to Larry Fitzgerald in the playoffs last year and then two plays later running it into the end zone in, in overtime. Do you feel that Aaron Rodgers, you know, prime has somehow been kind of wasted over the last while? And do you think that he will reach a Super Bowl with the Packers? I don't think it's been wasted. They've been the class of the NFC North almost for the entire time of his prime. And I think he's, I I believe strongly he's been the best player in the NFL for the past half decade. Yeah. Um, And I think they're going to continue to be really good. I think that the Packers run one of the best organizations in the league, and all you can ask is to be in the playoffs in the thick of it every year. A lot of it is luck. Some of it is just not having the defense. Last year it was the injuries on offense. But I I think all you can ask is to be in it every year, and, and Aaron Rodgers is in it every year. 
And here's a question for you. Do you think a quarterback should be judged on Super Bowl wins? Because we put up a stat that showed Aaron Rodgers' statistics in his first, you know, I think it was, I don't know how many seasons, maybe six seasons or, um, or less, and uh, Tom Brady's first few seasons. And Aaron Rodgers wiped the floor with Tom Brady's stats, but everyone kept getting at us and saying, oh yeah, you can put up Aaron Rodgers' stats and Tom Brady's stats side by side, but where, where are the Super Bowl wins? Now, our response was, is Super Bowl wins are a team stat and not a quarterback stat. Do you think that's fair, or do you think that a quarterback should be judged on how many Super Bowl rings he has? I think the quarterback should be judged on all the data at our disposal, starting with game film. And it's always going to – football analysis, football judgment is always going to go off a of game film. Uh, and then that becomes a matter of opinion. But I'm not a big stats guy. I'm not a big rings guy. I'm a big – put everything together and see who comes out on top guy. And at that point, it's opinion. Reasonable minds can differ on who's better between Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. They're both great. And do you think that in some way us Packer fans have been kind of spoiled? You know, is it a golden era, do you think, for the Packers? Because, you know, what happened I, e- I think in every way Packers fans have been spoiled. <laughs> Not in some way, in every way. They're one of the, it's, it's one of my favorite fan bases. It's one of the most knowledgeable fan bases. It's one of the most cool fan bases coming from the last small industry town. They have a professional sports team. But hell yes, they've been spoiled. To go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, absolutely. And do you think it's impossible to, to continue that? Because we've seen Scott Talzine, and I thought he looked pretty promising. He had a very strong arm. His accuracy, again, could have been a little bit better. But he made some throws that I had to check the back of his jersey to see if he was wearing number 12 because he was playing really well. But now he's gone to the Colts. Do you think that uh, the Packers are looking at the likes of Brett Hundley and thinking that he might be the man to step behind? Or has Aaron Rodgers got too much juice left in the tank and Brett's not going to be around at that stage? Yeah, I think that's probably the case. I think that everything I've heard and seen out of Brett Hundley, he could end up being one of the best backups in the NFL. He should, actually. I mean, he's more talented than a lot of backups. And I believe he led the NFL in preseason passer rating last year, which probably doesn't mean a whole lot. Yeah. But at least he didn't implode. And I think everything Mike McCarthy has said about him has been exceptionally high praise. So he will. my guess is he probably will seek greener pastures after his rookie contract is up. If we look at the division this year now, uh, you know, do you think that what Minnesota did last year by winning the NFC North, is that indicative of what's going to happen this season? Or do you think that Minnesota just took advantage of the problems that Green Bay were having on offense? Well, I think both. I think that if the Packers were healthy and things clicked like they're supposed to click, the Packers would have run away with the division. But that didn't happen, and the Vikings were stronger than people thought. Uh, They have a very interesting, young, talented defensive nucleus that I think has to be taken seriously. They're, They're very strong. They've got a good defensive coach. And on offense, I think it all depends on on Teddy Bridgewater, if he develops or not. But they've got some interesting pieces there, too. I think it it all depends on the quarterback. But I would definitely pick the Packers over the Vikings in a preseason prediction. And are you a believer in Teddy Bridgewater? Because I was speaking yesterday with Neil Hornsby of Pro Football Focus, and he said that Teddy Bridgewater has all the tools. He's got an amazing, you know, seven-step drop. But he, he drops the seven steps and then just dumps the ball off. Do you think that Minnesota don't see him as, you know, this pocket passer, the guy who can stretch the field with, with throws? Are they still fundamentally a run-based team? Yeah, they've been a run-based team. They definitely were last year. I think that Teddy Bridgewater has 
well above average accuracy, well above average touch, and he's well above average as a scrambler. I don't know that he's well above, well above average in any other category. Certainly arm strength, I would put him in the bottom third of NFL starting quarterbacks, and I think that's a major issue and limits their offense. And I think their coaching staff, uh, you, you look at last year, and I think they probably said this guy is still developing. Adrian Peterson's in his prime still. Let's base our offense on Peterson, not Bridgewater. Yeah, and do you still think that's the case? Do you still think AP has some more mileage in the tank? There's no reason for me to, to believe he doesn't have more mileage in the tank. I think he's still one of the top three or four NFL running backs, certainly. And then with the rest of the division, do you think it is a two-horse race for the NFC North with the Packers coming out the top? Do you put any sort of stock in what's going on and how the coach and staff are developing things down in Chicago or what's happening with the Lions? Is Megatron's loss too big? Yeah, I see the Lions, honestly, as one of the NFL's worst teams this year. I don't like their roster. I don't think you can lose your best player in back-to-back years uh, like they did with Ndamukong Sue and Calvin Johnson and still compete. So I think they're rebuilding again. They missed their window. And I think the Bears are interesting with how they're building that defense. And they've got a few interesting parts on offense. I'm really interested to see what Kevin White does this year. But I will never believe in Jay Cutler. So, I mean, he's just – he doesn't inspire me. He doesn't inspire faith from me. So it's going to be hard for me to ever pick the Bears to go to the playoffs if he's their quarterback. Yeah, and would you always fancy the Packers against the Bears because our secondary was eight best in the league last year? Do you think our secondary are going to continue giving him trouble because he is an interception machine? Yeah, yeah, I do think so. I think that's a problem. So, Chris, I think... Uh, I think we'll finish it all off with, you know, Westing's predictions. If you were to give the Packers a score, if you were to say what we're going to end up with at the end of the regular season, what number would you throw at me? What their record is going to be? What their record? Are you going 13 and 3? You're going less? You're going higher? I'll probably go 12 and 4. 13 and 3 is an awfully good season, but I do see the Packers as right up there with the Panthers and the Cardinals and Seahawks as the superpowers in the NFC. And do you think that will continue for the next few years? Or do you think that with our O-line hitting free agency that, you know, it's coming for a bit of a ropey time? No, I, I expect the success to continue. I think that when you have one of the best GMs in the league, and I certainly think that Ted Thompson is that, and they've got a good good head coach. So uh, when you have those two things and the best quarterback in the game, I think you continue to be uh, a perennial playoff contender. Well, Chris, what a fantastic positive note to end this whole session on. I have to thank you very much for coming on. And, you know, with your knowledge and your expertise, perhaps halfway through the season, maybe as we get towards the playoffs, would you be able to come on again and have a chat about all things Packers? Sure, let's do it.